Okay, well, let's get started this morning with a word of prayer. And let's stand together. Lord, the Mohawk, would you lead us in a word of prayer this morning? You may be seated. While you're taking your seats, let's try to ponder upon what was the last thing we talked about. And um, simply enough said, we talked about First Peter. What was one of the things though? In first, when was First Peter written? Anybody know? It actually goes back about three or four weeks. Yep. I'm down for everything. All right. Anybody know? Mohan, do you know? You are correct. 65 to 68 AD, any of those three would have done. They're not really uh, for sure pinpoint, but they definitely know that between those three or four years, that there was um, some type of, um, uh, Peter was the first one, I mean, the first book of Peter was written. Anybody know what the name of the author of First Peter is? That's hard. First Peter, who is the author of First Peter? What's that? Good. <laughs> Made it real simple that time, didn't it? <laughs> oh, I'm just trying to trick some people. All right. And we know that uh, also the theme for First Peter was victory over suffering. And the importance of that is to understand that sometimes suffering becomes a problem. Suffering becomes something that we don't want to deal with. But God gives us victory over suffering. And then also two purposes of the book was to give encouragement during suffering and to exhort to Christian living. I gave you some examples of what suffering is. Um, I'll just point out a couple. Anybody want to take a stab? Wild stab at it. Morning, Bro Lewis. Wild stab. Example or what is uh, suffering is? What it does for us. One uh, point. Important point. Anybody know? Okay, yeah, it, it helps us to grow, it helps us to cleanse us from sin uh, when we go through suffering. Um, it's good for us, okay. One of the things that I think uh, is really important is that it assures us that we are God's children. It's one of the blessings, I'm sorry, yeah, um, it assures us we are God's children in the sense that when we go through suffering, you realize that the Bible says that um, that if he doesn't chastise us, we are not sons. Okay? So God obviously has an important part for us to be able to take part and understand that suffering helps us draw that, that closeness to God. And then we went through the content. Uh, we talked about three different places of God's grace 
And one of those was grace and salvation. And I gave, those are three things, hope, holiness, and harmony. And then grace and submission. And we talked about submission to authorities, submission to the household, in the household, submission in the home, submission in the church. And lastly, Christ's example of submission. And then we talked about God's grace in suffering. God's grace in suffering. I don't know how far we got through this, but I gave you a list of them just to kind of give you an idea of what we talk on this week. I think we left off on, though, is number two, have the attitude of Christ. And we're in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. It says, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live in the, the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of your life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. Our flesh, when before we're saved, our flesh dictates everything that we should do. And our flesh gives us the easiest way out. The most reasonable way to be able to not have the flesh go through any trouble or suffering. When, we, uh, when we're younger, uh, uh, if you're, we're in sports or wrestling or anything. I know I was in wrestling. One of the things that the coach would teach us to do was have the ability to really deny ourselves by stop eating. You had to make a certain weight. There were some kids that just could not do it. Uh, they would go in there and you had to, I remember my um, last year I was in wrestling, it was my freshman year of high school, and I had to be down at the weight of 135. And I had to make sure I was at that weight because when I come in, they would weigh us. And if I didn't weigh in at 135, I was in trouble. I couldn't wrestle. And my coach would be very angry with me. Why? Because he'd have to forfeit that match. In the same sense, what we'd have to do is we'd get to the supper table. I remember during wrestling season, this is not the proper way of doing it, but during wrestling season, we would just not eat. There'd be days we wouldn't eat. I remember guys coming in having that nasty smell and breath. From starving themselves and and then you'd go to wrestling practice and you even were afraid to drink water sometimes because if you drank water that would gain weight so you had to be very careful I remember the guys <laughs> I remember one year we went to Pillsbury uh, uh, College which is up in um, I don't think it's in existence anymore but it was started by a, a great Baptist pastor back in the day I can't remember his name but he uh, this this, this college had a wrestling program for their college students. And not only that, but they also had a uh, international, or not international, a national uh, wrestling meet every year. And Christian schools from around uh, the country would come and they would wrestle uh, to win a trophy. And remember, uh, we would have weigh-in at like 8.45 in the morning. Every guy probably had, it was the worst because there were some guys that would come in and they could eat as much as they wanted because they were so underweight. There's no way they could gain it. I remember one time uh, on this trip, Rob McDonald, he was one of them. He was our heavyweight wrestler. 
He wasn't really heavyweight. They wanted him to eat more because he was so under the weight of most of the heavyweights out there. And so he could just eat as much as he wanted. He'd just be snacking all the way down there. And I remember Mr. Wright saying, all right, all right, guys. And us guys, we'd be sitting there. We'd be starving, probably hadn't eaten for a day or two. And I remember, man, just looking at him eat just made us hungry. You know, he'd just be out there eating all kinds of snacks. And I remember getting all the way to the wrestling meet, and then we'd weigh in. After weigh-in, it was like, yeah! It was party city. Why? Because you could eat as much as you want, as much as uh, fast food. We, I remember eating three or four value meals on that day. I remember ordering, like, uh, two or, we had breakfast that morning. And I remember eating, like, three or four value meals on that day. Good morning, folks. And so, anyway, I say all that to say, when we had to deny our flesh... We weren't allowed just to say, well, I can eat whatever I want. Um, I'm currently on a diet, and I'm trying to deny uh, my flesh on some things. And it's really hard sometimes. You have to deny yourself on this, deny yourself on that. You have to keep your flesh in subjection. Before we're saved, we don't have that. We don't have that governance. And some things we do, but it's not done through Jesus Christ, so it's short-lived. We're very easily uh, distracted by our flesh. We're very easily uh, dictated to do the things of the flesh. And so when we do those things, what happens? We just give in. But when we get saved, it should be different. As it says in verse 3 of chapter 4 of 1 Peter, For the time past, our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in what? Looseness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. Listen, when God gives us a, something to live by, he expects us to live by it. But when we live by the flesh, we're not living by the grace of God. And that's what I think he's trying to do. Have the attitude of Christ. Be, uh, the key is likewise. Read in verse 5. Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? For this cause was the gospel preached unto them that are dead that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober, and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. <coughs> if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So what's Peter saying here? He says, listen, I don't care what you've gotten in life. You've gotten gifts. You've got talents. What are you supposed to do with those gifts and those talents? You need to make sure that you're giving God the praise, giving God the glory, and saying, this is a gift that God has given me. Do everything with God in mind. When you work outside the grace of God in this situation, when you work out God, without God's grace in suffering, or God's grace in helping someone, you're really just heaping upon yourselves pride. You're saying, look at me, look what I've done. If you... If you do stuff around the church, I don't care if it's cleaning the church, I don't care if it's working on the church, whatever it may be, do it to the glory of God. 
Don't do it because every people is going to say, wow, look at what he did or look what she did. But instead say, okay, I'm doing this because I know God wants me to do it. And I guarantee you this, that when you start doing things because God wants you to do it, the job will even turn out better. Why? Because you're looking for God's approval. And God's approval is way above what any man could expect from you. When we look for God in our, in our, our life, we're going to have a different attitude. We're going to say, God, what do you want me to do? How should I act in the church? How should I react to people in the church? How can I help this person? How can I help that person? Not because you're looking for man's praise or for man's recognition, but instead you're looking for God's recognition. Second part here, we are to glorify Christ's name. First uh, Peter chapter 4 and verse 12, and we're going to read through 19. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering. And when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of the glory and of God resteth upon you. And on their part he is evil spoken of, but, you are, but your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer... As a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him as well doing as unto a faithful creator. So what are we going to get from this passage? Don't be suffering for the sake of sin. Don't be suffering for the sake of sin. Glorify Christ's name. It shouldn't be said that the church is full of hypocrites. It shouldn't be said that the, uh, the church is full of thieves. It shouldn't be said that the church is full of murderers. Even though in our times past, maybe before we were saved, we were one of those. But now in the present time, our lives should show forth to be what? Pure and clean. We should suffer for what? Nothing else but Christ's name. When we suffer for things outside of Christ's name, we de detach ourselves from the things of Christ. Detaching meaning we, we take our save, take our Christ's name and take it away from the name of Christian. Our goal should be what? Is to uh, build up Christ, uh, to glorify Christ. But when we live by the flesh, listen to me folks, you cannot expect for Christ to be glorified. What if someone came in here today and, and uh, there was a whole bunch of cursing being spoken of? Or someone came in here today and there was men talking dirty. There were women just gossiping. There were uh, uh, young people being disobedient to their parents. Do you think that would be a good a testimony of what Christ wants us to be? No, not at all. Everybody would say, no, that, that would be horrible. Well, it shouldn't just be that the church, when you're inside the church, that's the attitude. It should be that you are the church outside the church. People look to you. Let me repeat that. 
You should be the church outside the church. Meaning people should look to you and say, wow, look at that person. Look how they live. Their mouth is clean. Their attitude is right when they're at work. They have a sweet, sweet spirit. And why? It's because you are portraying Christ in the world. Fifthly, or fourthly, let's look for Christ's return. Look for Christ's return. It's going to happen. Suffering is going to happen. What are we supposed to do? Complain about it? No. Come back and say, I'm looking for Christ's return. I'm looking for God to return it and, and reward me for the life that I'm living. Fifthly, depend on God's grace. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. What does it say? Casting all your care upon him for what? He careth for you. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, walking about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same affliction are accomplished in your brethren are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called you unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after ye have suffered for a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What are we supposed to do? Depend on God's grace. It says in verse 7, casting what? All your care upon him for he careth for you. We are so willing to go outside the realms of uh, your Bible believing church. We're going to go talk to this relative and we're going to go talk to this relative. But really the first place we should go to is who? Christ. What does it mean to cast all your care? Every care that you have, whether it be your child, it be your husband, it be your wife, it be uh, your pastor, it be another member of the church, should be where? Should be right on Christ. But it's very easy to become de detracted from what Christ has given us to do. And what is that? To pray. To seek his face. To ask him for things. The very reason that Christ gave us prayer. The very reason that he wanted what? He wants fellowship with us. So in a sense when Christ gives you a burden. When Christ gives you a trial. When he gives you suffering. You're supposed to say. Okay Christ. Please help me. Right? Abba Father. Daddy. Help me. And lastly, we need to depend with faith in Christ. With faith. You cannot, uh, folks, you cannot be able to do, uh, ask for God's grace. You can't expect for God to bless unless you are living by faith. You can go ahead and live your life all week long and you can pray and ask God to help you. But if your life is not what it should be for Him, you might want to go back and say, God... Forgive me. You don't want your prayers to be hindered. Bible talks about that for men and with the men lo loving loving their wives, as we talked about earlier. You don't want your prayers to be hindered. But you got to live by faith. Some people ask God, "Why is this happening to me?" Well, maybe God is trying to get your attention. Maybe God says, "Wake up! I got. I need some help here. What's your problem?" 
And God has a purpose for you to be able to get closer to him. Depend with faith in Christ. People say, I believe in Jesus Christ. Really? How is your life being an example of that? Are you living by faith? Are you doing the things that God has already expected you to do? Or instead, are you picking and choosing what God is going to do, what you're going to do for God? All right, so that's the end of 2 Peter. Um, if you ever need notes, please tell me. I'll try to get some printed off for you. Um, I have all of these in, in note form, so if you want to go back and review over the, some of the things that we've talked about, uh, you can be able to look at some of the scripture references. They're all written down. Now we're going to go over 2 Peter. 2 Peter. Right. All right. So we're going to talk about Second Peter. This the first part of Second Peter is a very short book. Uh, we got one, two, three, four. Actually, just three. Actually, chapters in the book of Second Peter. Uh, who thinks the who knows what the author of Second Peter is? Who's the author of Second Peter? Yes, Oscar. Thank you. Thank you. Who did the Holy Spirit use? Who did the Holy Spirit use? You think so? Come on, Miss Juanita. Actually, believe it or not, that Second Peter is considered one of the most controversial books of New Testament about authorship. Um, I'm not going to go too much in detail, but there was, and even in the beginning when they canonized the New Testament, there was a lot of doubt if Peter actually wrote the second book of Peter. A um, couple of the reasons was the style, the way that the book was written, the style was a lot different. Um, there was a lot of, they call it, um, uh, the word is really hard to pronounce, but it has to do with uh, uh, sadoism, with meaning it's a fake, Okay. The um, uh, 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 Sado baptism means a false or a Sado um, pseudo. I mean pseudo uh, profession mean a false profession. Um, the pseudo I can't remember how they how they spoke it. Cranianism something like that has to do with uh, the fake writing of someone. And they says how in the world could that get in through? Now, I really believe, to be quite honest with you, they want to take away from Second Peter, and there was one reason, and that is they want to be able to destroy the faith of, of uh, if, you take away, if you take away Second Peter, what do you take away? You take away from the errancy of the scriptures, and you also take away from uh, some of the other things that Second Peter, and we'll go through that. Uh, did anyone want to take a wild stab at when Second Peter was written? We know that First Peter was written when? Someone already mentioned it earlier. Second Peter was written after First Peter. Oscar, I'm so glad I have you in my class. You're such a huge help. Anybody know what First Peter was? 65 AD. Did you look that up on the internet? Okay. 63 to 65 AD. They don't really have a pinpoint of when First Peter was written. Second Peter, though was written in anywhere between 64 and 67 A.D. And this second Peter, they believe that well, this was within months of Peter's martyrdom. 
Anybody know how the tradition says that Peter was killed? Yes, Miss Sophie. Yeah, crucified upside down. So this is months before that. So here we find in, in uh, the introduction of Second Peter, we first of all know that it was the most controversial book in the New Testament about authorship. Secondly, we know when it was written. Thirdly, ooh, what's the theme of Second Peter? What's the theme of Second Peter? Stephanie, that's already set up for a video feed for the nursery, so just don't touch it, okay? Thank you. So what's the theme of Second Peter? Good morning, Brother Juan. Good morning, Miss Patty. Good morning, girls. The theme for 2 Peter is what? Danger of false teachers. We have today so many false teachers you can't keep track. Back then, this was the beginning of some of the false falsehoods that came through Christianity. It was devil's way of trying to destroy some of the Christian faith, put doubt in the believer's heart. And so we find here in 2 Peter, this is the theme, was the danger of false teachers. So what was the purposes of 2 Peter? Well, let's go back. What was the purposes of 1 Peter? Anybody know? No? Yes, Miss Patty. She's got to look at her notes. At least she took notes. Good job. It was to encourage the believer. Okay? To encourage the believer. That was one of them. Actually, there was two. But the purposes for 2 Peter is, first of all, it was to stir the believers to growth. Sometimes evangelists need to come in, pastors need to come in. People get very content in their ways. They get content thinking, well, I don't need to go any further in my Christian growth. 2 Peter was here to absolve that idea. 2 Peter was to get people fired up, excited about living for God again. Excited about sharing their faith. Excited about being faithful and obedient. Kind of of a mini revival. Another purpose for 2 Peter was to encourage patience to the Lord's return. Back in the New Testament, even some today, we're all excited. They were excited about Christ's return. Some even were getting up white robes and they were standing on the mountain waiting for Christ's return. Uh, praise the Lord that we have understanding and knowledge that no man... Knows when Christ is going to return. No man knows the day or the hour, does he? So what are we to do? Watch and pray. We are to work. We're not just to sit there and put our white robes on. Come Lord Jesus, right? No, instead we have a, we have a mission to do. As it says in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. We have a purpose. We have a great commission. Thirdly, the third purpose of 2 Peter is to encourage proper doctrines and ethics. Just like in our church today, there's a lot of culture in our church. There's different people that come from different cultures. Is all culture wrong? Let me ask you that question. Is all culture wrong? I see nobody. I just see Brother Oscar shaking his head no. Is all culture wrong? If you believe culture is wrong, raise your hand. Okay. There's parts of culture that can be wrong when it goes against God's word. Okay? We have a purpose, what? To be faithful. Should culture be something that we should we can do? Yeah, I think there's things that our culture can uh, say that we can do. But the first thing that we should do is say, okay, what does God want me to do? So many times people follow culture just because that's the way they were taught. That's the way that they thought they should do. Just like in Paul's time, he was just trying to say, hey, listen... Ethics are important when it lines up from God's word. 
proper doctrine is important when it lines up with God's word. The key word for the book of 2 Peter is knowledge. Knowledge. All right. This is all under the introduction of 2 Peter, so I'm going to get into the Bible here in a second. It's a real short book, so we're going to go through this real quick. Things to know about 2 Peter. And this is what he wanted you to understand. He wanted you to know. First of all, know God's word. Secondly, know your enemy. Just like it says in verse 8 of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Casting all your care upon, I mean, chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Peter, if there was anybody that could have been fall prey to this idea of having a what? Being fall prey to the devil, it was definitely Peter. What happened to Peter when Jesus Christ was dying on the cross? What happened to him? I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, he denied Christ, didn't he? Three times he denied him. Why? Because he fell prey to Satan's advances. And I think in the same sense, every Christian has that same problem. Sometimes it's very easy to deny Christ. Know who your enemy is. Know that Satan is out there. He's trying to destroy you. He doesn't want anything good for you. And lastly, know your guide. Who is your guide? Our guide should be who? The scriptures and God, right? God's word. We should know it. Knowledge, there's two things about knowledge we understand. Having knowledge safeguards against heresy. There's so much heresy that's written out there because why? People don't know God's word. They sit there and they take one verse and they pick it out of one chapter and they don't read the rest of their Bible to really understand what that verse has to say. And so then what happens? Heresy comes in. People come in and they what? They destroys their faith. We have a purpose to what? Know God's word. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman needeth not to be ashamed. What? Rightly dividing the word of truth. When we're looking at God's word correctly, guess what? Brother Mohan introduced this to me, the 2020 vision, right? You read 20 verses in front of it and the 20 verses after it if you really want to know what that verse is trying to say. There's many times I come across a verse in my Bible and I say, oh, I don't really understand that. So what do I do? I read the whole chapter. Why? It gives me a better understanding of what that verse is trying to say. Secondly, knowledge is not only having safeguards against heresy, but it's also a way to spiritually grow. When you as a Christian don't have knowledge of how you should live, how do you expect to live? Your child. If you just let your child run loose and do whatever they want. Hey, yeah, I don't care. You go ahead. You do whatever you want. Are they going to learn right between right and wrong? I'm sure they're a conscience. God gives every man a conscience. But you can tell the difference of a child that has been living a life without any type of correction to a child that has lived a life to correction day in, day out. The child that lives a life without correction is going to do whatever they want, whenever they please. But a child that lives a life for, with correction in their life, they know there's, problem, there's things that they cannot do. There's things that they just can't do at all. Why? Because they know it's wrong. 
We as Christians have to have the ability to really study God's word and decide for ourselves what is right and what's wrong in my life. Young people, when you're young, it's very easy to fall prey to just listening to what mom and dad have to say. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with listening to mom and dad. Don't get me wrong. What I am saying, though, you shouldn't just do it because mom and dad said so. You should do it because Christ has told you so. I know kids that grew up, they listened to mom, and they were obedient to mom and dad. And when they got out of mom and dad's uh, home, what happened? They just ran wild. Why? Because they didn't really do it because God wanted them to do it. They did it just because they wanted to please mom and dad. Mom and dad no longer in the picture. What happens? They just lived their life where they wanted to. Our goal should be what? To have an understanding of God's word. I used to hate that. When I'd come, I went back to Fairhaven after being two years out of it. And I was just like this. There was no scriptural basis. I remember uh, when I was a senior, I had to take a speech class. And in speech, the, uh, the speech uh, instructor told us we had to pick a topic. And it was an impromptu speech. And you had to decide what you were going to say in like two minutes. And it was about the Bible. I remember kids getting up and going, da, 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 da. Not having a clue of what they had to say about the Bible. These are 17, 18-year-old children not knowing what God's word has to say. I shouldn't say children. They're 17, 18-year-old young people. They're 17, 18-year-old young adults. Not knowing God's word. Who grew up in a Christian home. Who had month after month, day after day, heard Bible preaching. Heard uh, the Bible preached. Heard people talk about it in devotions. But yet still did not know anything. And you ask, why is that? this thing right here. They did not have spiritual growth in their life. They're riding on mommy and daddy's tur- skirt, uh, skirt and coattails. Listening to whatever mommy and daddy said. Like I said, when that coattail and that skirt tail left, what happened? They weren't holding on to God's word, were they? So this is the introduction to first, uh, Second Peter. So let's talk about the content. The content of Second Peter. A... What is the importance of, um, of knowledge? It safeguards against apostasy. Someone give me a definition of what apostasy means to you. What does apostasy mean to you? One of you young people back there, tell me what apostasy means to you. I didn't know you. Well, teenage again, brother? Go ahead, what would you say? I'm listening, though. Unstable? Stale? Okay. Alright. Anybody else have an idea? Apostasy. Okay, to leave the truth. Okay. Anybody else? I'm open. I just want to see what people think apostasy means. I'm not going to take detract from what Brother Juan and Brother Oscar... Yes, Miss Sophie. Okay. I think you're all hitting on the same type of uh, idea there. When we don't have the knowledge of God's word in our hearts, what happens? We get, begin to wonder. You ask, how in the world did people start wondering with Jehovah Witnesses and how people start wondering with the Mormons? People start running with the Catholics. It's because of this very thing right here. 
They didn't have enough grounding in the word of God to understand, hey, I can't do that. First Peter or Second Peter chapter one and verse three through eleven is what we're going to read. Second Peter chapter one, verse three through eleven. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lusts. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But ye, he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fail. I'm sorry, fall. For so as an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So first of all, we're talking about the maturity of the believers. How many heard this message a few times? Uh, I don't know. How long ago was that, Oscar? pastor preached on this for almost six months right yeah it was when we over on 3743 south california so it's been about six years so if you're with us then you probably remember this this passage but what is he saying here he's saying hey listen you got all these things that you can add to your faith i that's why i say some people some christians they get content and they think oh i made it i've arrived have you let's go through these real quick Add to your faith, virtue. And to virtue, knowledge. What is virtue? Got some big words here. Let's try some of these younger people. Uh, Lizzie, what is virtue? Okay, I'm going to give you a reference point. You ready? Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. God fearing? Okay. Anybody else? Angel, what do you think virtue means? Mm. Let's see here, Mohan. What's virtue mean? Elegance? That's an interesting choice. Naomi. Okay. Oscar? Good traits, good characters, Okay, you want to hear what the what uh, Mr. D. A. Wade says? He says moral excellence, chastity, merit, and valor. Okay? So here we'll repeat that. Moral excellence. I think that's a very good definition. Chastity, merit, and valor. You see, talk about the idea of a virtuous. Uh, if you read any of the um, uh, the old fables and tales, they always talked about the virtuous knight, right? 
And what was so virtuous about the knight? He was always honest. He always had utmost integrity, right? If you're very virtuous, you, you're not going to steal. And you're going to be zealously honest about it. I remember I told you not too long ago, I remember a, a man that used to drive our church bus. If he found a penny on the ground, he would go and put it in the offering plate. Why? It's not his. He didn't want to steal. I think, that, I mean, that's very uh, virtuous in saying that. But the idea there is what? Add to your faith what? Virtue and to virtue knowledge. So first of all, your goal should be what? Let's first of all have a desire and a, uh, uh, a purpose in our hearts that says, hey, I am going to do things because God wants me to do them. I'm going to be zealously honest. I'm going to be driven to do the right thing no matter what. That's what virtue is. So once we've got the virtue, guess what's next? Add to your, virtue, I'm sorry, add to your faith virtue and to virtue what? Knowledge. Knowledge. If you don't know what's right, how can you do it? Right? What's the next thing after knowledge? And to knowledge, temperance. Temperance. All right, ladies and gentlemen, what does temperance mean? Got some big words here. What does temperance mean? Miss Sophie. That's a very good definition. Anybody else? Temperance. Yes. A good attitude? Okay. The idea of temperance is what? You're not super out of control. Right? You're taking temperance. I think about the... Uh, how many's ever heard of the uh, Prohibition era? They called it the Temperance League. How many's ever heard that? The Ladies' Temperance League? Okay. Temperance is this attitude that you're consistent. You're going to take your temper... How many's ever heard of tempered? A tempered pot or a tempered pan. What is that? Yes. Right. Right. The same way with steel. If it gets too hot, it gets too cold, it doesn't matter. It stays the same. In the same sense, in your Christian life, once you've added faith, once you've added virtue, and you've added knowledge, you're going to be able to be consistent in your Christian life. What do I mean by that? A lot of Christians are like this. I'm out of time. But a lot of Christians are like this. They're roller coasters. One day they've had their devotions and they've been faithful and doing God's will. The next day they're... Does everybody know what I'm talking about? I, I've done this. I still do this. It definitely is something that takes a very mature Christian to be able to overcome. Is keeping that even kill attitude of what God wants you to do the entire time. Not being, oh, I, I heard some good preaching so I need to obey God. Next week, what do you like? I can't stand going to church. Right? And then the next week, oh, glory to God, he, he gave me a new job. So I'm going to be obedient for a couple days. And the next week, oh, man, I wrecked my car. Can't believe this happened to me. Where's God in all this? Right? God has a purpose. He has a plan. He has a desire. But we have at the same time realized that we must trust him in these situations. All right, I'm done. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're grateful today for your word. And Lord, we're thankful for the fact that you did give us 
a, uh, a road map to follow. I ask you, Lord Jesus, as we study Second Peter, help us to gain in our knowledge. Help us to understand that your grace is sufficient for us. And, Lord, that when we are weak, then you're strong. God, help us to grow in our knowledge of you. Help us to grow.